Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe. Now introducing your show hosts, Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Keynes, and Ed Mann. Hello and welcome to another episode of Three Devs in a Maybe. My name's Ed Mann, and today we're very lucky to be joined by fellow My Builder developer uh, Neil Brooks. How you doing, Neil? Hi, Ed. Um, you're, you're too you're too kind uh, to to be saying that you're lucky. Um, it's it's a pleasure to be. Here. Are you joking? I'm very lucky. Very lucky. I can't believe that I've known you kind of on and off now for four years, and we finally get to work together. So uh, it's been great getting you on the team. Thank you very much. It's, uh, again, that's very kind of you to say. I, I feel overwhelmed and excited and, and, and very lucky to be part of, uh, part of what, a, what a great team that we are here. Awesome. Yeah. So cause you've, you, how long have you been working there? It's probably been a month. Is it coming on to a month? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it is. It's a month this week. Awesome. And uh, I always love doing this, uh, you know, kind of, especially when talking, you know, for the first time on the podcast, how did you get into programming? What was your what was your way into this lovely world? Okay, so um, I was always tinkering about with uh, with computers when when I was well, I say when I was a kid. I, I don't think. Do you mean tinkering as in breaking? Because yeah. that's that's mine putting <laughs> yeah. them break, yeah. Yeah. pulling them apart and then trying to put them back together and going. I'm very sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I used to play with. Um, I was thinking earlier with with QBasic uh, when I when I was really really young. So. so um, Young people won't even know what that is, uh, but you can look it up on Wikipedia easily enough. Um, and then when you talk about breaking, yeah, um, before I kind of really understood what video drivers and things were, I, I um, managed to break our Windows 3.1 computer by uh, installing a video driver that just didn't work at all. Uh, <laughs> you were trying to make it better. I, I was, I, and I had no idea what a video driver was or what it did. Um, but what I actually, what I managed to do was... Uh, memorize every single key press on the keyboard to get to where I wanted to be so that if it did break, I could go back and reset it completely headless in a GUI, env- GUI environment and uh, and manage to reset it to, to what it had been before. That is something to put on the CV, so, sir. So that was, uh, yeah, that, that, that was kind of ex- uh, uh, interesting to do because uh, because my mother would have screamed at me <laughs> if she'd found out I'd broken the computer. Oh, that's brilliant. And so, yeah, so over the time, then QBasic and everything. And I mean, obviously, you know, introduction then to PHP. When did that come in? Uh, so PHP came, I, I guess I, I had a I had a, um, a, a fork in, in the road when I was first learning to program. So it, it was always a hobby uh, doing HTML and CSS. And, and you, you get to a point where you think, well, there's not a lot more I can do with this. I want to do exciting things where something's going to happen if I if I click a click a button on a on a form then you know start emailing things rather than just opening up a you know a mail to link or whatever so so started thinking about how i could build login systems and the the fork in the road was do i learn php or do i go down the microsoft route and learn asp in the dotnet framework in fact i think the dotnet framework was just about coming out at the time and and being a poor uh, type on minimum wage at the at the time, I thought, well, I can't afford the Microsoft licenses, so we'll have to go down the uh, the free and open source route. And that seems to have done pretty good for you. Yeah, it's uh, it 
has done it has done me pretty well. Uh, I certainly enjoy being part of the open source community and, and giving back as well. So that, that's one of the big things. Which I think had I had I gone down the more corporate route, then maybe that that wouldn't be a, so much of a part of what I'm doing these days. Absolutely. And, and so, so you started, did, was there any like kind of, did you do uni kind of go through that route or was it very, very much in your own time learning PHP and then getting the first job, getting your, you know, getting your foot in the door? Uh, it, it was, it was the, uh, the, the second option there. Um, I, I didn't go to university, uh, regrettably. Uh, so I, I'm making up for that now. Um, so studying with the open university, uh, completely out of my field as well. Uh, I'm, I'm studying science rather than anything sort of computing right now. Um, so, yeah, everything was always as a hobby, uh, and I applied for every single computing job that I could get as, as, as a junior, um, as technician, as programming, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, whilst all the time sort of volunteering for different tech companies, uh, trying to learn as much as I could. And then eventually I sort of had, had a break by mating the right kind of people, and I worked for a couple of years in a PR firm just putting together basic PHP and jQuery websites for events that were happening um, and then sort of moved on from there. So that, that was the uh, that was the foot in the door was um, just meeting the right person who had a project at the right time. How did uh, Symphony come into your life then? Because I remember I know that, you know, me and you kind of reminisced a bit about Code Igniter uh, a couple of weeks back. So obviously that must have come before Symphony or did it? They they landed on my lap at pretty much the same time, actually. Uh, so at, at this PR company I was at, I um, had an intern. We, we took on an intern from a, from a French university, and he was obviously so all for Symphony, Symphony being a French-originated uh, framework. So he kept saying, I want to try Symphony, I want to try Symphony. I said, okay, let's, let's try out Symphony. Um, and when it came to it, I, I was, at the time, I was kind of sort of ignorant as to how little I knew myself about things um and symphony was just way over my head and this was symphony 1.4 and it was it was beyond what i could understand and and he said to me like okay we'll try this out and showed me code igniter and code igniter was was a lot uh, a lot simpler to get my head around the concepts of mvc and uh so abstracting things and decoupling where uh, where possible um so that was some time ago now i mean symphony 2 has been out for for much longer how many developers do you think have started off and actually learned MVC through CodeIgniter? Uh, it's got to be a fair whack. I would assume so. I mean, so, yeah, I still have a soft spot for it. Um, I don't think I'd, I'd – I mean, I haven't looked at CodeIgniter for, for a number of years, but I'd be interested to see what, it, what its kind of uses, usage base is now and, and how big it is in the community. I think I, I, what I last remember is CodeIgniter 3 was a thing. And then I don't, I think a lot of the steam and a lot of like kind of, you know, the direction now is gone with symphonies and the Laravels of the world. Um, but I definitely, I was like you, you know, and the user guide, the documentation around uh, CodeIgniter was great. And I was just like loving it. And I lapped it up. And it was the first framework that I just got stuff done in. And it felt rewarding every time I used it. Like there was not, uh, there was a little resistance every time I needed to do something. I was able to just do it, and I think that really helps with the learning. Is that you know you don't feel like there's lots of like blocks in the road. You feel like you can get stuff done with it. Um, although it may have given some bad practices and stuff, it, it was a great learning experience. I definitely take away from from that framework. Yeah, I can't I can't disagree with that at all. In fact, as you're, as you're speaking about about it now, I'm thinking about what the um, what the documentation used to be like, and thinking, oh, this get and then. Uh, db or whatever and it's oh yes 
uh, query builder on top of that. It, it was great. I, I, I loved it. It was a very good introduction to, to um, the world of frameworks for me. So as I say, yeah, Code Igniter and Symphony kind of both arrived at the same time on my, uh, on my plate, um, and I enjoyed using them uh, Enjoyed using them both. I think moving from Code Igniter to Symphony made me feel a little bit more like I was progressing in in the world of things. If I could get my head around Symphony at the time, then I thought I was better than you know than I had been three weeks beforehand, for example. And then, like obviously, then Symphony Two came out, and then everything changed. The whole game changed again. Uh, and then we've we've almost had that now with Symphony Four as well. Symphony Three, kind of in the in the middle, you know, has kind of been slowly progressing. We're talking a lot about Symphony here, and that's because, you know, drumroll, you know, you've got a talk coming up at Symphony Live London, and probably, hopefully, a lot of the audience that we're listening to this now have already listened to your talks, heard your talk, seen you at the conference, and what is the talk that you're currently, uh, you're going to be presenting on Friday? Okay. Well, well, yeah, let's let, let's hope that after seeing the talk on Friday, they do still want to listen to the uh, to the podcast and me talking. Um so the the talk is going to be about, or is was about, if, uh, if- uh, I'm trying to think, what tense can we do this in? But we're recording this a couple of days before. I think the uh, the mystique's gone there. <laughs> yeah, let's go past tense. the The talk was about uh, how how to run Symphony uh, on AWS Lambda. So uh, so getting rid of EC2 boxes and and having a, a web server that's going to serve your PHP application only when it needs to be there. So if you've got a request coming in or if you've got a cron job that needs running, you're not paying for a box to be running all the time, regardless if you use it or not. It's going to be a box that you get charged for whilst it's handling your data. And that's it. And you get all that beautiful, like obviously in the Lambda world with function as a service, AWS goodness. For people in the audience, you know, a lot of kind of I've been a big proponent of Lambda and there's been a lot of Lambda stuff going on, serverless stuff going on over the years and stuff. And one of the obviously bigger missions was PHP. Uh, and obviously you're saying you're, so you're bridging that gap there. Uh, we actually spoke to Andy Rains late last year and he kind of started that talk, you know, started that kind of discussion about here's a possibility of how we would bring PHP into the the Lambda world. Um, but yeah, what, what drew you then to Lambda? Well, two things. Um, I think, first of all, as a developer, it's, it's my job to to try to um, minimize the costs of things I'm developing. So if if I if I'm developing something that uh, that needs to be run on a on a huge box with a with a load of memory and, and uses up all of the CPU all the time, then I'm doing my job badly. Uh, and so this is kind of a natural extension, I think, of of trying to to minimize costs to the business or to, to whoever pays the bills uh, in, in that, you know, if I can have something I'm only charged for whilst it's running, then, then that's uh, got, got to be the, the better way of doing things in that. And certainly for, for my own personal sites that I'm hosting, I think I can save about a hundred pound a month on my AWS bill. By, that is insane. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things that I haven't gone back and revisited and and uh, refactored for about. I remember when you told me about your AWS bill, and I thought, man, yeah, what do you run? <laughs> what, what do you run? <laughs> about three websites, but they have uh, they have load balancers, which are each uh, costing me uh, twenty dollars a month just so I can support the SSL. Uh, and in the past couple of years, I'm sure there's there's been cheaper ways of of doing that that have come out. 
but it's having time to go back and refactor them and, and keep up to date with what's happening. Um, and I think the second reason that uh, that I've kind of been drawn to Lambda is because, um, or sort of PHP on Lambda, is because it's an interesting thing that we can do, you know, as as engineers and developers and as curious people and early adopters, what we what we do is we take things that shouldn't work together and we ram them in <laughs> until they work. Yeah, and that's that, you know that's that's um, that's one of the things that we do. That's one of the things that's exciting is is trying to overcome a problem. Um, and um, I'm going to throw a quote in here actually. So, so George Mallory, one of the uh, one of the first guys that really really tried to uh, climb Mount Everest, he was obsessed with it. And they said to him in an interview, "Why why why are you obsessed with climbing Mount Everest?" And he just said, "Because it's there." And uh, and it didn't work out too well for him. He he died, and his body wasn't found for for about eighty years afterwards. But yeah, that, that's it. That's that's the second reason. It's because it's it's a challenge to uh, to get this thing to get this thing working. And and it feels like PHP is a great language. I remember speaking to Andy about it. it's like it does feel like PHP the, the request you know response request lifecycle of PHP is very much entwined with how a Lambda works. You know it's got a simple interface. You know you get your request in, you do something with it in the Lambda, and you return. And the tear up and tear down with PHP is that's what it does. That's its job. Yeah, I, I really hope one day it will be officially supported. But until then. Um, you know, there's been a lot of work, as you, as, you know, kind of we briefly discussed about it and everything. And, and one of those pro- uh, projects is called Breath. And, and that's actually what you're going to be talking about in your um, in that in your talk, aren't you? Well, what I did talk about in the talk. That's true. I am really bad at this past and present tense stuff. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes. So there's um, a project which was announced uh, in May. I think it was uh, earlier this year, 2018. Uh, by by a chap in France um, called Matthew Napoli. I've, I've I've probably mispronounced his name. I'm very sorry if I have. Um, and I, I saw the post come out on Medium, and at the time I was I was looking for a, a, I was looking for PHP support on Lambda uh, at my previous company because we we had some scaling issues, but also some monetary issues where. Ultimately, what we were doing was making too many requests to our server uh, and DDoSing it um, about two or three times a week. So every every other day, we just didn't have the capacity to scale up. But then if we put lots and lots of boxes behind a load balancer, we were paying for stuff we never used. And we, we didn't, I mean, we were a startup. We just didn't have time to start configuring auto-scaling rules and auto-scaling groups, etc. So... Um, so I was looking for a way of running PHP on Lambda, realized it wasn't happening because AWS didn't support it. And then this, uh, this post came out on Medium about how some guy had been running this website called returntrue.win, which I'd seen a couple of weeks beforehand, which was just a programming quiz, uh, and that he'd served like a quarter of a million requests a week or something like that on uh, PHP and Lambda, and he'd documented it really well given a great overview of, of actually what was happening. Um, and I, I read it and my jaw just dropped because it was there was this thing that he'd created that was so easy or seemingly so easy to get to grips with, uh, but so useful and was kind, kind of the holy grail of what we were trying to achieve. And the way that he's been able to abstract away a lot of kind of the pain points, because under the hood, obviously, it's still running just what 
you know, AWS can support, which is actually in this case, a Node.js app. So it's a Node.js handler that then you're going to have to call out to an executable, PHP executable that's been compiled uh, for the Amazon Linux binary, uh, Linux uh, distribution that's actually running Lambda. So there's a lot of work under the hood and stuff that it's able to get away from. Um, you, you've actually, you know, you've, you've played around with it now a lot and everything. And you, you know, playing around with serverless and stuff. How have you found the experience since you found it to like now, you know, can you see this project definitely, you know, taking more and, and going further? Well, I, th- I think so. I mean, I, I should point out that there are other projects that are aiming to achieve the same thing. And there, there are a few resources on how to, uh, so a few different articles and tutorials on how to do it yourself. Uh, and they pretty much all revolve around, they say the same thing, that you have to uh, download the Amazon AMI for the Lambda and compile PHP against it and then create a deployment package in, uh, with a JS handler, uh, which invokes your PHP binary to then start running the application. Um, and what Breath does is takes care of all of that for you as a serverless framework plugin, uh, and then you um, supply a handler and adapter file um, using PSR7 that gives you a nice interface to the entry point to your own application. Um, so with that said, I mean, it's it's been very easy after, after a few kind of small learning curves and, a f- and, and sort of reading the documentation and, and submitting a few documentation patches back. Um, I've, I've found that it's actually got a lot easier to, to work with as, as time moves on. And I can deploy a, a breath application with minimal code now, um, minimal fussing and interference. And um, I, th- I think it's, yeah, I think it's very easy. Once, once you kind of get your head around the initial concepts of it and what's going on, it's very, very easy to be able to, to use and deploy with. And I think also like the fundamental, uh, obviously, you know, it'd be nice if PHP was native, but the fundamental that you're able to compile, uh, compile a binary and run it in a Lambda environment is super powerful anyway. I remember like last year playing around with, um, I don't know if it was FFmpeg or something. Like, I was playing around with some like kind of changing some audio up and I was able to compile a binary for Lambda and actually run that and invoke that in its environment. So you could see a lot of other use cases that, you know, that kind of, you know, work will be able to get you into and stuff, you know, being able to use this in a serverless manner. So although it'd be great if it's native, it's great, you know, kind of power in Lambda that we can do this. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very good. It's, it's quite exciting that the kind of possibilities that this uh, opens up anyway for for those of us that can't be bothered to compile the PHP binary or, or kind of want a, a centralized project. Exactly. And you shouldn't have to, should you? You shouldn't have to have to compile. And if everyone's doing it and they say, that's the beauty of this project where it's been able to abstract away all this stuff and it gives you just a very clean, you know, command line interface to be able to do a whole host of things. And it also seems a, a winning point of this seems to be the fact that it has many adapters for popular frameworks. Yeah. Uh, which you might maybe go into, into some depth about what these adapters are and how they work with all the different frameworks. Yeah, sure. So, so the, so as, I uh, say the the entry point to the application is something that you provide yourself. There are examples of of it. There we've got examples for Slim and Laravel and Symphony frameworks. So those three are kind of supported out of the box now with the uh, with the Breath uh, system. So if you've got an application that's running on any of any of those uh, the, the three kind of popular frameworks there, then you you. Support straight away is going to be pretty pretty good. I think the uh, the guy that first wrote uh, Breath 
is is using slim more than anything else the, the, the kind of kind of uh, feel that i get from some of the comments that he's made so if you're using slim then happy days uh, <laughs> i mean personally i've i've only worked on the the symphony adapter and we, we've had one or two issues on the uh, on the symphony side of things which um is a bit strange to be honest because symphony is all for interoperability interoperability and, and uh, decoupling and making things easy to work. But we, we had a few issues with uh, the session handling and a, and a couple of issues with, uh, with Twig as well. Um, for some reason, Twig keeps trying to write to the cache even when uh, you've set the cache um, not to be writable. So that's there are a few uh, – oh, sorry, even when you've pre-compiled the cache – so there are there are a couple of issues that that we've run into with Symphony, um, but for all intents and purposes, you can pretty much run any application, uh, any Symphony application out of the box now. Absolutely, and like you know, you've been very good at kind of you know spearheading, getting these PRs in, getting them merged in, and stuff. So with Symphony, then, so with these frameworks, you obviously you bring a framework to the fight. You know, you've got a whole host of stuff there. How does the process work then to actually get this deployed? So I'm guessing you're going to have to compile the cache first because this, you know, essentially the lambda wants to be um, immutable, and you don't want to do anything in the lambda as such. You just want its nice one artifact. How does that work then in breath? Well, the the idea is, I mean, th- there is a writable file system on on lambda, but it's the slash temp directory, uh, which is obviously different to where Symphony wants to write the cache to. But you don't really want to be caching on uh, on the Lambda environment, there's no point to it. You don't know if you're ever going to get that cache back. And if, if it's a function as a service, then what's the point of compiling a cache on the request to read back from? So what you, what you need to do um, is pre-compile the cache on your local before the artifact gets uploaded to, to Lambda. So the deploy process makes a copy of all of the important bits of code. So you define in, in your uh, serverless.yaml file what it is that you need to be uploaded to the Lambda. Breath uh, deployment process then takes that, makes a copy of it. It runs any scripts that you define. So uh, in Symfony's case, it's compiling the cache, also compiling any assets and, and uh, putting the JavaScript together, and then sends it all up to uh, to Lambda. And then also creates an API gateway um, system around it so that you can, uh, it gives you an endpoint to be able to call and uh, get your application uh, through the World Wide Web. Oh, yes, absolutely. The good www. So, because actually it was very interesting, because you did mention there, like we had some issues with Symphony sessions. Uh, and there was, you, you did a lot of good detective work there to try and work out why that was. Uh, and, it, and it did seem because PHP, because uh, obviously you're compiling PHP and you're running PHP in like a CLI environment, the way that this uh, breadth package or this breadth, sorry, project works is that it uses the beautiful PSR7 standard. You know, you provide, provide it with a request into Symfony, Symfony return back a nice response for you, and you can just, you know, send that back to API Gateway. It did seem, though, that the way that Symfony currently, and this is probably something to you know, discuss with Symfony Core, the, na- the way they do native session handling is they take advantage of the way that PHP does sessions because that's just a great way. You know, PHP does sessions for you, easy peasy. But it kind of side channels the fact that if I'm trying to create a session to set the cookie, because that was the issue you were having, wasn't it? Where it wasn't returning the cookie. Um, it was always, you know, just saying, oh, no. And then it was obviously always creating a new session. So it seems like it doesn't honor the PSR7 returning of the set cookie. And that's something then, yeah, in the adapter that you had to, you had to um, address. 
But once that's done, then you've got, you know, you're playing sailing. Yeah, the, the, code, the code for that was, was kind of hacky, um, uh, which obviously you, you then took and, um, and made a PR, which just tidied things up a lot. Uh, so, so thank you to your contribution to that. Um, but it, it was, yeah, it was very surprising that Symphony didn't return the set cookie header, especially as um, when I when I raised the uh, raised the issue on the on the project's GitHub page that uh, that the session handling wasn't being honoured. Um, people using other frameworks going, well, it works for me. Why, you know, why doesn't it work for you? And then that's when you go, oh, I'm on my own. You always want to be part of the crowd that's in the problem. <laughs> so one person's going to solve it. But the first thing that creeps into your head is, what am I doing wrong? It's it's not necessarily, why isn't this working with Symphony? So why, why can't I? What am I missing? I do it, yeah. Um, but yeah, that was um, that, that was a very strange kind of, kind of case again because you'd expect Symphony to be doing things in in yes yeah, so to have this this very defined this is what we need let's return it in the PSR seven response that's not well you wonder if people have been burnt by it before because it seems because it's using the the PHP um, kind of you know internals of it it's it's able to it sets the cookie on the header response and stuff so when it sends it and everything so you know it's not it's kind of again sideloading the fact that I'm setting a cookie oh I'm also returning this PSR seven response that doesn't have the set cookie in and essentially that's the patch that you have to do is you have to say oh by the way if the session's changed add this set cookie in here because you know you're not going to get this back and it, it shows up and highlights very much so in an environment like um, using it in the CLI in this way lambda is because everything has to go back to API gateway as a response for it to actually return. So you're just kind of none the wiser uh, if you don't actually deal it with this way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was it was a, it was a, it was a difficult one to debug. I think, as I say, because it was it was just unexpected. So, but I have to assume that there's that some that somebody in in the Symphony project would have at least considered this at some point and there must be a, surely there must be a reason why it's being omitted from the psr7 response but there's there's an element of bravery which i don't yet have to be able to um, to, to say to symphony project you you guys are doing this wrong so well, i say do it mate you know if you do it you're now going to one of the symphony lives you're, you're a talker you know you're now a speaker at one of these conferences it's true mate maybe by the time that this uh, this goes out to to the audience i'll have uh, nudged fabian in the uh, I see it. you've leveled up and told him to, to sort it out um let, let's see what happens i, I don't i don't know what's going to happen with that at the moment you're basing the whole talk around an example app uh would you mind explaining kind of what this app is uh, and and then we can go into really the meat of it, which is how how the hell you get everything done. Yeah, sure. So so, so the app is um, a combination of two of my greatest loves in life. One is puns, and the other one is cats. And we combine them through the medium of quotes of famous quotes. <laughs> um, so the so the application is is a website called uh, kittyquotes.net, and it's uh, just pictures of cats. Uh, some of my cats, some of pa- cats that uh, I made the mistake of asking on the internet for pictures of people's cats, and I got hundreds of responses. And, and of course, I- people love taking pictures of their cats and sharing them, yeah, don't they? Yeah, yeah I, I think it's yeah, it's uh, it, it was a mistake on my part to do that because every have you included all these pictures, or have you just filtered them down? I'm, I'm halfway through adding. Oh dear. <laughs> Um, so yes, yeah, so it's pictures of cats along with, um, quotes, uh, by such famous people as Isaac Newton or Friedrich Nietzsche and, uh, 
and, and these kind of, these kinds of uh, these kinds of people. Um, I mean, I, I kept coming up with quotes and authors and, until uh, my intelligence ran out, and I had to ask other people to um, to, to contribute some for me as well. So there, there are more to come at the moment. Uh, and maybe more on the day. Yes. Yeah, so, so that's the idea. But it also, it also kind of, um, I, I'm going to be like that cat lady from The Simpsons when I get older. Because <laughs> I did a demo a couple of years ago on, on uh, Blackfire, and I set up a website called kittyonline.net for that as well. I think everything I'm doing. Are you just trying to like get the whole kitty domain space, you know, just keep, you know all over it i think i might be um or, or maybe it's just these are just my ways of sharing my pictures of my cat unsuspect <laughs> in public i don't know i don't know oh but by the means of, of learning and education i will show you my cat <laughs> exactly yeah but i think you know it is a great example though because you mentioned there so you've got pictures so you've got uploads you've got the ability to you know post things add things you know view things show things you know all the stuff that you typically do in sessions obviously admin interfaces and stuff i i was brand new to breath when i first met you you know this was something that you know you 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 showed the light to me too and 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 it was great last week actually for um you know we we did this Symphony Live competition form. Um, we built it all using Breath, all using the latest Symphony 4 stuff. And it was a great, humbling experience. Like, firstly, getting back into the Symphony 4, you know, Symphony stuff in general, learning, you know, doing all that fun stuff again. And really, you know, taking advantage of Breath and the fact that it's serverless, the fact that it's dealing with a lot of their headache and overhead for you. You don't have to set up a server. You can just let it spin it up, let it do its job, and then, you know, custom domain and whatnot. Firstly, like, what is the experience like then using Symphony locally? And then obviously you're going to be deploying it to Lambda and then like the, the debug information and, and dealing with the flow of de- typical development. Yeah. Okay. So the, the, the local development is, doesn't really change too much. There's, there's a, an entry point, which I keep talking about to your application, which you can run as the entry point on your local development server. Um, you can point, point the local server to, to that and get a kind of Lambda-esque environment um but it but it's actually a lot more forgiving than lambda is itself so so you might find that something works really really well uh through this uh through this entry point but then once you've uploaded it then uh then things are very very different and and things blow up so what i've found is that um i t- i tend to deploy um, and then use CloudWatch logs. I mean, all, all of your logging, all of your uh, error output, everything goes into CloudWatch now. So you can either re- keep refreshing the CloudWatch console in the uh, in your web browser, or you can run uh, a command that's supplied with Breath, which is just Breath logs, and that will fetch the latest CloudWatch logs for you and, and show you what's going on with your application when you're when you're trying to click around with it. So that's the biggest change, really, in in terms of the error feedback. Um, you you don't have the the Symphony debug environment, um, or you you can get the debug environment to work, but there's a little, little bit more setup in that, which will probably come in a blog post at some point, rather than going into it now. Oh, I like that. Yeah the the other the other kind of real big changes are obviously you have to be thinking more about your application not having any state so everything else needs to be extracted away from that so so session handling has to be done in the database for example um you it really brings that 12 factor out doesn't it to the crux of it oh absolutely i mean you you've really got to be thinking in a in a in a true serverless kind of kind of way and, and break everything down into its smallest, most micro kind of version. 
Um, and image uploads as well um, is, is worth mentioning because although multi-part form data uploads are supported, they're kind of not great. And of course, like with, with Lambda, there's a maximum file size uh, for the entire package and everything it's handling anyway. But if you want to really handle uploads well, then you need to be thinking way, way, way outside of the, the box of using sort of uploader bundles and, and uploading to the local file system on the server. You need to be uh, doing things like pre-sign requests and uploading to CDNs instead of uh, directly to the server. So like using like S3 pre-signed and stuff instead and, and really just letting AWS deal with the problem. Because to be honest, you, that's, that's something you just don't care about, isn't it? And then you can obviously then use like events back into the beautiful Lambda world. Well, of course, yeah. So um, I don't care where, as a developer, I don't really care where the images are as long as they're in a place that I can put them and I can retrieve them and it's, yeah, it's secure. All secure, all safe, yeah. Um, so to a degree, I do care where they go, but also as long as it does the job that it should do. I don't care where that, I don't care if they're on a web server or on a CDN or, or whatever. Uh, it just means that, uh, that they have to be on a CDN if I'm, if I'm using breath. Um, but yeah, so, so you mentioned events um, there. So yeah, if, if I upload a file, maybe I upload a video that needs some post-processing or something on it. Um, now obviously you can't do that during maybe like in a in a large PHP application you might have that uploaded to the server, and then do that as part of the request response cycle, which obviously wouldn't be a great thing to do, but you could do it. Um, but in terms of Lambda, you can't do that. That that option is completely out the window. So you can obviously emit an event after S3 and listen to that with a Lambda function. You traditionally do that in Java or Python, or so yeah. You would you would need to be able to handle those and and uh, listen to events and react upon them in your PHP world as well. Um, and this is kind of new ground at the moment for me in doing this. It's it's certainly possible to to schedule cron events, and it would be possible to react to. Um, Events coming in, if you had some listeners on an SQS queue, for example, firing Lambda functions, you can run Symfony commands through uh, through Lambda and pass in uh, parameters as well. Uh, but I'm not sure at the moment about how that works with SNS notifications and the, the getting the event data from that. That's not something I've gone into too much at the moment, but I, th- I think the possibility is definitely there. That would be like the ideal then, wouldn't it? You know, that, that we were, I think we were talking about yesterday where, you know, obviously they've nailed the API gateway events, uh, bringing that in, abstracting it, and then passing it to PHP in a way that can be handled and returned. Next, it really would be to be able to do the like the object-created events in the S3 world, and like you said, the SNS, SQS events and stuff. You can kind of envision, you know, that you'll be able to, yeah, have this object, you know, uploaded and then run a Symfony command providing in this input saying oh by the way here's the file that you need to update you know you edit and replace or do changes with or whatnot um in another and it'll be in a completely asynchronous manner yeah and i I think one of the great things about it actually um if if we if we can solve this is the ability to have your your domain objects uh all written in the same language all having the same um domain invariants the same rules the same constructs all the way through your entire application pipeline so I'd be able to have maybe like a, a, in PHP a class that describes a video uh, object, uh, for example. And I know that I can use that video object on my 
on my application, so the front end that the, that the user interacts with, but also wherever I'm using that doing post-processing, I know that I've got a PHP object that's always valid because it's been valid as it's been passed through the pipeline. I don't need to recode that in Python to do Python processing, for example, through Lambda. If I can do that processing in PHP on Lambda, then it means I've got completely reusable domain objects all the way through in the same language. Absolutely. And I think doing the, the exercise we did last week with the Symphony Form stuff or Symphony Live Competition stuff, there was two things that kind of were my, how are we going to deal with this? And then you came to the table with all, you know, with your, you know, your breath and everything. And it was like, oh, this is pretty easy. One of them was handling assets. Now that's a big one. You know, you use WebPack Encore now, you compile the assets locally, you give them to a, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll say, okay, I'm going to upload this, this Lambda now. And you realize, ah, it has no idea where these assets are. This is not your typical document route. Uh, and the other one then is migrations, you know, dealing with like, say, a database. So, you know, in the world of our, in AWS, you'd use RDS. But how do I run these migrations? So it'd be good maybe. So firstly, like, yeah, how, do you hand, how have you handled assets um, in, in the world of Lambda and PHP and Symfony? Well, that, that's actually sort of pretty well documented in, uh, on the Symfony website anyway, uh, is, is using assets with a CDN. And you just need to configure Webpack Encore to look in the right place. Uh, so, so in Webpack Encore, you just tell it that you're in production mode and you want some versioning. Uh, and then there's, there's a YAML file somewhere. Again, it's mentioned in the doc- documentation. There's a YAML file somewhere. You just say, look, this is where the assets are going to be. Uh, so you can either hard code that or, or put an environment variable in, which is uh, going to be the better way to do things. And then when you deploy, you obviously you, you need to get those assets up to S3. And there is a plugin that we used for this, a serverless uh, framework plugin called Serverless S3 Assets. And we defined the bucket in the serverless.yaml Again, use uh, use an environment variable so it knows where to look. In fact, it was the same environment variable that uh, that's in in both the YAML file for the assets and also for for the uh, serverless plugin. And that then becomes part of the deployment process. So once we hit deploy, uh, that then creates the bucket, uploads everything we need to in there, and then does the rest of the uh, Lambda deployment package. So that's that's everything created there, and then instantly things start working on the front end, and we have our JavaScripts and we have our CSS files all all included, and everything looks pretty. Every, yeah, everything looks lovely again. And then in, uh, with the the migrations, we have um, a, a feature in in Breath again. It's the the Breath um, file. So you call vendor bin Breath, and then you just uh, have a CLI option. Uh, and then you call the Symphony command that you want to run after that. So, it's, uh, so it's you invoke it locally in your terminal just with uh, breath CLI, and then put in the name of the Symphony command you want to run, so you can run your migrations. And it goes and it invokes your Lambda function on Lambda, so you, you've got access to all of your production environment variables and your your remote connection to your database and everything. Um, but it just then reports back to you the the status of what's happened once it's once it's gone and and done that. So that's all very very easy. In fact, running commands on Breath is one of the easiest things that you can. That you I think that's been the best abstraction I've seen. And how because I, I was thinking there's going to be so much pain doing that. And then when you showed me how the ability you could just run this migration on local and it would actually you know obviously spin it up, go into Lambda, pull down, get the contents, everything, and it's it's like you're running 
just SSHing into a box. There is nothing magic about it, which is so cool. Or there is a lot of magic about it, but there's nothing special that you have to kind of cognitively think of. Absolutely. Um, it's, yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't begin to describe how, how simple it is, to be honest. It's, it's a very, very um, useful tool. Well, it makes up for the session problems, you know, all these things balance out, don't they, in the end? <laughs> And, and obviously, you know, it, so it's it's underlining, it's using the serverless framework, um, which I, I'm a big, big fan of. And and with that, then you get like the hosts have been able to use like resources. And, you know, when you do deploys, you can then use infrastructure as code uh, and then use like things like cloud formation. Obviously, um, serverless has abstracted away quite a lot of it with you getting the API gateway in for you and whatnot. Um, but, you know, a couple of things that you did with the cloud formation stuff was, you know, you created like an S3 bucket and stuff. And I, I, in the um, Symphony Live competition stuff, we also did it with RDS and whatnot. Um, how did you, how did you find kind of you know using that kind of way the infrastructure is code and and obviously seeing that you know work in deploy and work in production well actually actually before getting uh to grips with breath i'd, I'd never used the service framework before i've i've always uh been clicking around in the aws console um you know th- th- there are devops and there are developers and 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 i'm not really a devops kind of person i've put it off for as long as i possibly can but i've, I've actually found that it's been a very very easy path to doing what i need to do it's, it's been quite simple to get to grips with um, by going through this project. I, I thought, well, I, I want to use this project. Okay, I need to understand a little bit about the service framework and what's happening under the hood and how, if I change one thing, what how that's going to be reflected on on uh, the deployment package and when it's, when it's all set up. So from there, it became easier than, I think, as I say, this, this serverless S3 assets uh, plugin, it became easier to find that and to start it playing with the serverless framework and getting things working with that and then then when i saw what you'd uh, what you'd managed to do with uh, with the serverless.yaml for the um, for the competition we ran i was kind of blown away with uh, with the complexity that you can add in but also maintain readability and i i think i can go through that and understand everything that you're doing and why um, and it's it makes it low, I think it lowers the barrier to entry for doing oh, yes. which is uh, which is obviously uh, never a bad thing. No, absolutely. And infrastructure's code, like defining everything that needs to be happen in code form, committing that, you know, and then running that. It just, as you say, like it, it lowers the barrier to entry. It stops any confusion. It stops having these snowflake services, these snowflake setups, these, you know, little pets and cat, you have the old cattle and pet, you know, analogy and stuff that you have to worry about and nurture, you know, your ability to be able to just tear up and tear down these resources, these infrastructures is just so invaluable uh, and things, yeah, like CloudFormation and this and, and being able to build up this little environment and literally you can just see that repo and you see all the infrastructure as well around it, which is a lot because as you say, like you're doing RDS, you use an API gateway, you use an S3, all these things around it are now defined in this very concrete manner and you can give it to anyone and they can easily understand it. And it's not like, oh, by the way, here's a readme with all the other infrastructure bits that you have to worry about. Yeah, and, and uh, I, d- I don't have to give anybody a vagrant file anymore. Oh, yes. Back in the day. <laughs> it'd be interesting maybe to go into some of the API gateway stuff. So API gateway um, is obviously, you know, used then for request HTTP requests then into your Lambda. 
How does um, breadth deal with this then? Like, how does it uh, pass the actual thing to, say, like the, the the Symphony application or the application in question? You know, what kind of routes does it take? Because I suppose, it, does it look like a catch-all, I'm guessing, to be able to pipe that all request to that single Lambda? Yeah, that, that's absolutely correct. So um, if you're familiar with API Gateway, um, which, which I'm assuming so a, a number of your listeners are, um, you'd know that uh, that Amazon requires you to have a stage name on the end of your uh, route uh, unless you're using a, uh, a custom domain name. That's the only kind of gotcha that we have there, and that's well documented in the Breath documentation, is that you need to have slash dev in your routes until you provide a custom domain name. But yeah, you're absolutely correct. So what happens is there's a, a catch-all uh, route, which then just... Uh, acts as a Lambda proxy, as it's known in, in AWS world. Um, so every, the request just gets proxied all the way to your Lambda function, uh, a handler.js, which is provided for you by the by the Breath package, uh, converts that into a format that's then called against the PHP binary. The PHP binary does what it wants and hands all of the output so that back to that handler.js and handler.js is then responsible for sending that back through the API gateway to the uh, to the client. And it's interesting because obviously then essentially what this is doing then is delegating the routing to a framework or to Symfony because what API gateway does now is really kind of just dumbly proxy it back and forth. And I can see that being a pro and a con. Like I was very, it was interesting because before we did this experiment last week, I was definitely in the camp of multiple API gateway endpoints with single purpose lambdas done a lot of experimenting with like this mince pie challenge thing and i was like yep no you know that's the way the serverless way in quotes to scale up and down because the idea there is you obviously if you have a hot endpoint you know single endpoint maybe things are being posted a lot that lambda can scale at will as it wants and it doesn't have to worry about anything else and it's only got code related to that single execution i i still stand behind that as an advantage and definitely the way of thinking is good but I can understand, and I think, you know, because of the way that breadth and because of the way you were able to explain it and really show off how easy it is to to get this kind of process where I'm using Symfony, I'm using tooling that I already know. As Symfony developers, as, as PHP developers, as developers in general, you know, you've got frameworks, you've got problems that you need to solve. And to not reinvent the wheel, just use the framework, you know, use the tooling that you already have. And to be a, the ability to be able to just, you know, run that, do the local stuff, literally bring it into the Lambda world, serverless world, I can really see the value in that because... The pros, although you're not getting the routing and obviously that, the pros you're getting are the fact that I can see for small websites that probably don't get that many hits. I mean, the competition thing isn't exactly like this. Like, it'll have a couple of spikes maybe throughout the day, but you're not going to get consistent hits every, you know, every second. Being able to just to deploy it, and even if the binary, even if it's all getting hit by one endpoint, it's just a couple of pages, a brochure-ish type website, I can really see the value in the pricing model and the performance and the development, you know, kind of happiness in doing that. So yeah, I, I can definitely, I'm, I'm definitely two sides. You know, I can see for bigger applications, definitely single purpose lambdas are the way to go. But for, for bringing it over and maybe like small specific websites like, you know, brochure websites like, um, you know, like these competition forms, et cetera, providing the tooling you already have is great. And, you know, you can definitely, you know, one of the things is once you've learned the tool, you know, I understand like getting, choosing the right tool for the job, but PHP and Symfony are great tools for these things, and they've got a host of other things. Testing, you know, it's heavily good, co- you know, heavily audited code. Everything's been, you know, tried and true and tested. So you might as well stand on the to- uh, on, on the shoulders of giants in that regard. Well, there's yeah, uh, there's no reason to to think that you couldn't have um, multiple endpoints in API Gateway and have a, a separate Symfony 
um, package behind each of those. If if you wanted to to have routing separately in API Gateway, I think that's uh, it, it would be more work, I think, to set up. Yeah, because you could probably slice and dice it. I suppose, I mean, to be honest, even in just the case of, you know, bare bones using PHP with these single endpoints is definitely possible. I think bringing a, synth, bringing a framework into it, obviously it has its own rules around how it wants to do routing and stuff. But again, these are tried true tested routing platforms and stuff that people know. And, and if you're trying to port an application over, small applications over, or you're just trying to experiment and, and you know, to get the pricing, um, you know, benefits. I mean, that's actually something we haven't spoken about. So, you know, the pricing around Lambda, how does that work? Obviously, you said that you're going to save quite a bit of money, uh, quite a bit in quotes there, uh, you know, with the from your EC2 model and stuff. Um, how does it work and, and how is it comparable then, say, to an EC2 instance? You're going to ask me something I'm going to, I'm going to answer without knowing all of the, the facts and figures. But I, I think the... Um, the way of looking at it, as as mentioned by my by my friend and, and fellow developer Lucas Kuro in uh, in France, is is that it's kind of it's like owning your own car or getting an Uber. If you own your own car, you're paying for it all the time, but each journey, respectively, then is cheaper. Uh, if you if all you do is get Uber, then if you're getting it everywhere and 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 using it as if it were your your, your bus to work and, and home and, and everything, then you're going to end up spending more money. So to be honest, I simply don't know because I haven't deployed it to any huge uh, websites that are experiencing uh, constant hits all the time. So I, I don't know how, I don't have any hard figures to, to be able to say how that is. But I think that if anybody was considering it, it would be prudent to, to kind of look at how much money is being spent on multiple EC2 boxes versus the, the return that you're getting on those, uh, along with your load balancers and, and other things that are costing you amounts of money. So load balancers were $18 a month per balancer um, that you have. And of course, if, if, you, if you're assigning, if you're only using that to get the free SSL, then you're paying for your SSL certificate in load balancer costs anyway. Um, so that's not actually saved you any money. But if you go down the API uh, gateway route, then you are getting the SSL certificate for free because because the API gateway is, is costing you nothing really at all. And then the Lambda is costing you nothing really at all. And you've got instant scalability with Lambda and you don't have the worries of uh, investing time and effort into creating auto-scaling groups or, or rules or anything or anything like that or, or launching multiple EC2 boxes. I think anybody that's considering it, yeah, just, just has to kind of think, well, is this going to work for us? Is it a cost-effective decision? Uh, are there ways that we can leverage this to to perform maybe the, the stuff that we have issues with scaling with um, and still run one or two boxes, whatever, uh, for, for nominal cheapness on, on some of the other bits and pieces? It's, it comes down to individual use cases, I think. And the fact that you don't have to provision a box, I mean, that was, that's something, again, that really is a game changer. You know, the abstraction level now is for developers like us to be able to, without having to do DevOpsy stuff, without having to provision stuff, really. I mean, obviously, you're, you're provisioning on a high level these different infrastructures and stuff through, you know, CloudFormation. But the ability to not have to install updates on a fundamental operating system, you know, install PHP, make sure it's keeping up to date, all this. I mean, I suppose PHP obviously is one of the things we have to do in this case, but fundamentals are like Node and Python and Go and whatever, that they handle all that for you. I don't, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have to SSH into a server and do apt get update and, and maintain security packages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which I would have to do with an EC2 box. 
yeah. and you just let the let the pros deal with that let aws have that problem and you get your business value you know where you're going to make the money and where you know your your you know kind of passion and you know real true value lies is in the code and shipping and deploying it and yeah, the spikes and stuff and what Jolanda can deal with, you know, is, is astronomically great. And, you know, the fact you don't have to provision stuff beforehand, you don't have to kind of pre kind of thing, oh, hang on, how how much spike, how, how much traffic am I going to get, you know, in, in this kind of off, you know, this offset or something. So, yeah, the, as you said, I really do love that analogy, though, that you uh, you say about the Uber and the car, owning your own car, because I couldn't, I, I, yeah, you couldn't word it even any better. That's such a true kind of analogy for yeah, it. I, I just wish I'd come up with that myself. I thought you did. No, no. So, you, so you completely you, you, you swerved me. Yeah. If, well, I, I just I just mentioned his name really quickly, and, and everybody. <laughs> oh dear. But yeah, obviously we've you've spoken about the the pricing and everything, and then it's performance. Um, and obviously performance is a big thing, and implications of using Lambda. So, does does you know does using Lambda kind of come with free performance, or is that something obviously something you're probably going to have to base, you know, base some, you know, decisions on and and really think about? Well, well, of course. I mean, the first thing is like we're we're not running PHP natively; we're running it as a binary within Lambda, which is being invoked by something else. So there's there's always going to be a performance hit on that. Um, and Matthew's uh, own kind of benchmarks suggest that there's about a 20 millisecond performance hit for running PHP uh, on top of Node. So, so just the cost of invoking the binary within the Lambda gives, it, it gives you um, about a 20 millisecond hit, which I, which I think is quite acceptable um, for the majority of things. I mean, it, and you can always implement uh, API-level caching on, on API Gateway and, and take other steps to, to mitigate that, that kind of uh, performance hit anyway. So that's, um, that's the first thing. The second thing is obviously um, cold booting, which is a bit of a nightmare or is adds to the overhead of, of starting up. And if you've got your Lambda running within a VPC, then uh, then a cold boot can take about 10 seconds. Uh, so so what, is, what is for the audience then? What is a cold boot? Well, the, the cold booting is obviously so you're running uh, your, your function as a service. It's inside a container somewhere on, on one of Amazon's servers. Now, after some time, that server is going to go, well, we're going to shut this container down. And that container isn't going to exist until the next request that comes in for that. So, so the cold booting is, is the, it's going from the state of there not being a container ready to handle the request to a container being booted and ready for, uh, to, to handle what you're sending it. So if you have it within a VPC, which is better for security, obviously, because you can control absolutely everything that comes in and goes out, Yes, it's a cold boot from that. The majority of, of the time in that is setting up the network interface, interface and the, the IPs associated with it. Um, so, and that can make a cold boot take about 10 seconds. But I, th- I think that's, that's not a breath and PHP issue. That's a general Lambda issue, which is kind of well documented anyway. So, so the, the, the kind of solution to that, if you want the added security of the VPC, is to try where possible to, to just hit your uh, Lambda semi-regularly just to make sure it stays warm and so that, that that container is being used and doesn't get shut down as often by uh, AWS. So that would be like, say, using your scheduled like CloudWatch events and stuff and then calling the Symphony command or something. Absolutely, yeah, just have a, have a ping command that returns a pong or, or whatever, like just as a, as a kind of heartbeat uh, function. 
um, which is going to cost you nothing. I mean, you get a, a million invocations of Lambda a month with uh, for free with, with AWS. So it's going to cost you absolutely nothing to do that. That's awesome, man. And it is interesting. The VPC one was a, was definitely a gotcha last week because I was like, great, I'll just keep the RDS instance in VPC land. And then we were like trying to hit the website and you'd get, yeah, this eight second up to 10 second delay. And I was like, oh no, this isn't good. And then obviously, yeah, reading all of the, all the material on it and the fact that VPC and it is you say, weighing up the pros and cons, um, you know, for front facing stuff like that, that's probably not acceptable, but asynchronous stuff, you know, where you're hitting, you know, say a command and it's, or, or hitting asynchronously, you know, cr- object created events and stuff. I think in the background, that's fine. That's, that's acceptable kind of levels of problem. And then obviously the way to solve it, if it was front facing would be just to use these, you know, kind of keeping, you know, them, them warm, these essentially, these lambdas warm by constantly hitting them to making, essentially making AWS say, hey, keep this around because it's still popular. Absolutely, yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, I think we're almost um, going up to the hour mark. Obviously, not by now, the audience have heard, you know, heard your, uh, heard your talk, heard you speak about lovely Lambda stuff, uh, heard you all through this and uh, really want to hear more. Uh, where, where can they hear from you more? Are you on, I'm guessing you're on the Twitters, any any blog posts, any websites, and anything to, to well, plug? Well, I, I'm actually currently moving all of my sites over to, to, to using Lambda. So, so things are uh, kind, kind of here, there, and everywhere at the moment. I'm, I'm kind of picking up sites that are five, ten years old and, and resurrecting some of those. So, so I'm, I'm kind of kind of busy with those at the moment. And I, eventually I'll get around to putting my own blog back online. Uh, but, but you can follow me. I'm Neilio82 on Twitter. Uh, and I'll be contributing to the My Builder Tech blog uh, in the near future. Um, and I'm on Medium as well. You can find me on Medium under the same handle, uh, although I've only got the one the one post up at the moment. So it's, it's not that exciting, my, my Medium feed. Uh, and again, GitHub, it, I'm the same handle everywhere. Basically, just search for that handle and, uh, and I'm sure you will find something. And I'll be sure to put it all in the show notes. And, uh, and we should say, actually, if you want to come work with us, you know, because if you like, you know, the cut of our jib and the way we've been talking about all this cool stuff, uh, careers.mybuilder.com. We are hiring any and everyone, you know, all, all tech devs, kind of all, you know, SREs, um, data analysts and stuff. So, yeah, definitely check it out and check out our blog at tech.mybuilder.com. That's it. We, we're, we're looking for people of all ages, abilities, shapes and sizes. Anyone who wants to come learn with us and contribute to an awesome project that we're working on. Audience, it's been another great episode and we'll speak to you again next week. Goodbye. You've been listening to Three Devs and a Maybe. You can contact us at contact at threedevsandamaybe.com or follow us on Twitter at the number three devs and a maybe.